All right, so we need some kids to the front. Shake your arms out, empty your hands. We're going to do some motions. Maybe I'll get there. My goodness, there we go. All right. So, I hope you've been reading your Bibles and praying and listening to the Lord throughout your life, not just on Sunday morning or Tuesday night Bible study, but wherever you happen to be. And then maybe you could come and share with us during this time something that the Lord has spoken to you or something that you've seen and He said, pay attention. What do you got? Going once. Tony Tate. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 5 through 11. What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants to whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned each to each his task. I planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For mm -hmm. no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, just give me the word speak. Um, so, I, I don't know if you guys are giving these cards, but there's magnets or stuff like this. But this says, helping others overcome in areas of hunger, poverty, loneliness, and hopelessness. Uh, you can be helped someone needs. Uh, the verses do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's got our pantry number, and then the, you can just scan this QR code, and then you can get to the app. This is a really good way to reach out to people. You could just say, hey, how you doing? And I just want to let you know, we have an app 
And if you get a talking, I don't know who you're talking to at work or whatever, but like, I mean, give people a chance. But you could be like, oh, you like games? Well, we like games too. We want to show people how to honor God with our passions, our stuff. You know, and you can do that with God. Oh, you want to give resources? Well, uh, and learn how to honor God for resources. We we have someone who learns about finances and stuff like that, and you can do that through everything. Soldier of the sanctuary. You know, people that sacrifice life and have to come back and be for parents and fathers and work, how to how to deal with what you've been through and how to come back and be victorious through God. I mean, we have all of this. And then you can crafts, your arts, your talents. Oh, you do music and worship? That's cool. Hey, we have, we have a ministry where we're teaching people how to be able to use their music, not just on Sunday, but to glorify God wherever we go. And it just goes on and on. Youth ministry. Yeah, we love reaching out to the young kids and letting them know that God can be active in their day every lives. And then the kids, oh, the little kids, yeah, we have that as well. And the idea is, is we're not promoting something, because I'll tell you, and I've got to say this, I was out 16 years. Think about it. I left this place, and it, this was under three Ps, the protection, preservation, and um, I've always forget their P, I forgot a sec, but um, those Ps are perseverance, thank you. Um, but those three Ps that we were under, you guys were under them, and that's why God's Word has gone forth, and the podcast is where it's at, you know, but when I left this place, I didn't know you could just go somewhere where you could literally deal with unhealthy spiritual conviction, un- unhealthy moral truth. I had no idea, because I never would have left. I, I just thought we all were in this together, you know, and I'm not making fun of anyone, because we were still together, just thank God what God was doing here. And the reason I say that is, so when I came back, I'm, it messed me up. The things I heard, the people that, that tried to talk me into stuff, the things I listened to, evil spirits that, that could be here, but they have no place here because the truth is here, so it can't be here. And we can tell the demons to go. But what we have here is so awesome. And it's like, it's everywhere in other churches, but I don't know those churches. I only know this church. I don't promote any other churches. I say, this is a great church. Come check us out. Check out our podcast. I do want to finish with this, is that you might have been a superstar when before you were Christ, on the field or off the field. You might have been able to throw golden stars and where they go, you land. I wasn't. I wasn't a superstar. I was the other thing. I didn't want to be a star. I wanted to be outcast. I wanted to be left alone. I didn't feel loved or welcomed by anyone. No one ever talked to me. I would smile. No one would smile back. I would try to be friendly. If I said something nasty, people would just re- insult me and never work with me. Nobody ever wanted to be there for me. I've dealt with so much pain and, and rejection. And so on both sides of the circle, we are God's building. We are God's fellow workers. We're all superstars. Every one of us here is a superstar in Christ. And so I encourage you, again, I said this last year, so I bring it into another year, is that we need to reach out to each other. We will always be able to have this foundation, and we'll be always be able to give that word out. But here, we all have amazing gifts and talents. We can show each other that we're not perfect, that God's working on all of us. We've watched videos and we've watched things that maybe we could share with each other. And we want to be able to, to be in a place where when we're ticking, like what ticks me off, like, you know, whoa, I need to watch out for that. But also what takes me back to God. If, we're not talking about just like telling people not to do this, not to do that, but telling people you can do this, you can do that. You're going to make it. You can get through this. And we all got to do this together. We don't have to. I didn't have to speak. 
I don't get no rewards. I'm not making $5.95 if I send my CD out or whatever. I don't make no money off this. I'm not making fun of anyone. God blesses them, but I don't make a donation. No one's going to give back to me. It's just I decided God said, you got to say this, so I said it. So I just encourage us all, we need to come together and work together. And then that's how we get to know each other. Because the thing is, if God does bring five or ten or twenty or two people, and think about this, just think about it. If you had a team, do you want all new players? Or do you want to work on your team and then have new players come in? If you were in a games, anything, do you want uh, all these fresh people to come in? Or do you want to build a team and then let them come in? Because if they do come in, if we can't handle ourselves, handle each other, deal with each other, know each other, and not going to get it day and night, just giving it a chance, how are we going to deal with those that come in? And it will happen. And, you know, that's going to be a lot. So I'm encouraging me, you, all of us to once again reach out to each other. This is our family. Anybody comes in, it's family too, but we're family. And we should be family. Doesn't mean we have to know each other and be best friends. That's not a mean. I'm just saying because of who we are in Christ, that we should be reaching out to each other because of who He is. Amen. Amen. Good word. Anybody else? Pardon? I got a song that I wanted to share. Okay. Are we going to watch a video? Yeah, it's okay. there. Let's do it. All right. Yeah, we don't want to see notifications. <laughs> it's a nice sunset. Maybe we're going to see a video? Second thing is, um, it says, 
One day I'll stand before you, Lord, and feel your presence. I'll hear you say, well done, my son, you kept the faith. I ain't perfect, but I know I never had to be. I was once, but now I found amazing grace. So we are not perfect by any means, and God does not expect us to be perfect. And I think that is one of the most humbling things for me to realize is that God does not expect us to be perfect. He knows that there's no way we are ever going to be perfect because of our human nature, our human flesh, all the temptations that we go through. Unfortunately, the only thing we can do is we can try. And we have to keep that faith. And one day, it'll all make sense when we get to heaven. But for now, we have to keep going knowing where we're going in the end. And we have to keep that faith because one day we will get to heaven and we will hear God say, well done, you kept the faith. Two questions came to mind. I felt prompted as you were speaking. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer. Those who uh, meet with me on Tuesday nights for Bible study, we, we talk about how the New Testament church, what they largely did, their main activity was disputing. So disputing is when you ask a question and somebody else gives the answer and then somebody else asks the question and somebody else gives the answer. So the other two questions that came to mind as you were talking, the first one was, if we know that um, we're going to heaven, if we know that what goes on then, where we wind up, and what Jesus did, what God does, what God, we know that the kingdom work is more important, why is it that it seems like what's going on right now in the moment, what we're seeing, feeling, hearing, right, seems oh, kind of like makes itself so important compared to what we know to be true about where we're going? Why is that? I'm not answering it unless somebody, unless we can't answer it as a group. Why does it seem so important? Let's say um, your car breaks down, and suddenly your car breaking down seems so much more important. You've got to deal with this right now compared to the gospel, going to heaven. It's not because it's what we were taught. Okay, so the world programming programs you to that sense of urgency. That's, that's a good possibility. Anybody else got another thought on that? Why is it that what we're going through right now seems so important? all the time compared to the end destination. Go ahead. Because we walk by sight, not by faith. That's what we're seeing, the temporary, what we initially see, it's, that's it. Yeah, and the Bible calls us to do the other. Yeah. Walk by faith, not by sight. Hmm, that's interesting. And that ties in right with what you're saying. Anybody else have something to add? Are you going to get where you're going without actually going? Okay, so the journey, is we, you, you feel like... You can deal with the journey in the moment that you're in. Okay, that's interesting. So you're pressed by the, we're we're affected by the things around us, but we have to go through them to get where we're going. And that's basically true, right? That's what we have. And and then when it said the Bible says, see by faith, not you know by see, <laughs> instead of what you see with your eyes, see by faith, right? Then when it gets really urgent and important, you realize, okay, this really urgent important thing is it part of my journey to get where I'm going, or is it just a bump in the road? Am I, am I even going to remember this 10 years from now, for example, or, or am I going to let it affect who I am on my journey to wind up where I'm going? That's very interesting. Go ahead, Rob. The things that we're experiencing right now can sometimes be a test or a measure of what we're going to look like in the future, too. Okay. Um, the way we handle situations, the way we come out of situations, basically going to be a picture of what our future will look like. 
I definitely think that's true. But I think along the lines of worship, fruits of the Holy Spirit, things like that. If you're willing to dismiss the things of the kingdom of God in order to deal with what you consider to be the problem, then maybe the kingdom of God isn't in your life like you think it is. That's valuable insight. That's good. So then when you are able to handle the things that you're facing, knowing your destination, knowing what God is doing, kind of in light of the unseen world, if you will, then those things are real for you. They're affecting you. They're making a difference. That's awesome. That's good stuff. And then that tags into the second question that came to mind that I was thinking, which is, um, if, if we know the destination and we know where we're going, how does that affect the way we handle the things that we're going to go through between now and when we get there? You know, so, for example, you know you're going to be in heaven, let's say, and let's just pick one aspect of heaven, no more pain. If you know that you're going to be in heaven someday and there's going to be no more pain, then how does that affect how you handle pain today? That's, that's drilling it down to just one example. What's that? Not let it stop us. Okay, not let it stop us living a good life, not let it stop us feeling good. Okay, doing the things that God would have us to do, right? Practicing the spiritual disciplines, living in the kingdom, that kind of thing. Good. The church in the story of the prodigal son is one that left and spoiled everything, and when he came back to the father, he'd never leave again because he knew who his father was. Amen. So I think there's also knowing who your father is, knowing who you are. But it's kind of churchy because we still live this life. But that's right. the idea, is that he knows now. He ain't ever going to go back. He could, but I guarantee you probably never. Because now he knows he's a son. He's royalty. How important he really is. That he didn't see him as a servant. Um, that he, you know, it was all his in the first place. Yeah. It, it, he didn't give it to him. He's like, it was yours. He's like, I, I've always had the wealth. I've always had it all. Amen. You know, it's, it was yours in the first place. Amen. That's good stuff. Go. Uh, first thing that pops in my head is uh, James. Okay. Is when it says, consider all joy through all your troubles and yeah. trials. Consider it for joy, my brother, when you face all manner of trials and tribulations. Okay. Which is probably the hardest thing to do, is find joy in all your problems. What is that verse actually saying, though? Because it brings perseverance. Yeah, it's not saying have joy while going through those things. That would be one of the hardest things to do, right? So I'm, I'm facing trials and tribulations. Me to go, okay, I broke my leg. Yay, I broke my leg. I'm so glad I broke my leg. Hey, yeah, that's dancing on it. I'm joking <laughs> up and down. I'm clicking my heels like the toy, old Toyota commercials because I broke my leg. No, that's just ridiculous, right? That's not what it says. It says, consider it pure joy when you face all matter trials. So what's the joy? Is it that that I have joy despite my trials and tribulations? That's not what the verse is saying. It's saying, have joy in that you face those trials and tribulations. So when they come, look at uh, Acts 4, a beautiful example. Let's read it when you get time and study a little bit. But uh, they like went home praising God because they were allowed to suffer as Jesus suffers. You will face no trial in this lifetime, no tribulation, no pain. You'll never be persecuted, etc. Except that God gets the glory if... As Ron pointed out to us, we just keep going. Just keep practicing. Don't let it stop you. Just that is the key. And so we, since we have that and we can know that whatever this is that we're going through results ultimately in our good when it comes, right? So like if somebody came to you and gave you a car, you'd be like, ha, car, yay, now I can get places or I can sell it for money or whatever. Because yay, I got a car, right? Because you can clearly see that getting the car results in the rewards of having a car, even if you're just going to sell it for money, right? That's what trials and tribulations are like. 
when they come, we should be rejoicing, not because they they suck, because they do, right? Or not getting angry because the situation's bad, or whatever, but rejoicing that they came because it's our opportunity for God to get the glory and for us to arrive where we're actually headed. No trials and tribulations, you ain't going to get where you're going. Uh, Aaron first, because Tony Otter talked. Um, I don't remember where I heard this, but somebody told me this uh, 10 years ago, something like that, that um, that verse, those trials and tribulations come because the enemy sees that we're winning, that God is getting glory, and so that makes you a target, and so that give, should give you joy to know that you're a target because God's getting glory in your life. Amen. That's interesting. It's like when you're playing football and you're up 70 to 10, and the linebacker comes through and hits you harder than he has to, uh, to get to just kind of like get his last licks in, even though he's losing by 60 points, and that's what the enemy's like. I, and that brings me to that thought of that Black Knight in uh, Monty Python's Search for the Holy Grail. If you've been watching the edited version of that show, I encourage you to do that because it's a lot about spiritual warfare. But if you're going to watch the whole thing normally, you might run into some stuff that you might not be comfortable with. But, but the bottom line is the guy's lost both his arms and both his legs. He's like, come here, I'll bite you! And that's what Satan's like. He's totally lost, but he's, he's trying to get his last licks in before we go to heaven and leave him behind forever. That's a good word. Last thing. I was going to say, imagine watching a movie, story, character, anyone, at the level one, and then the level 56, you know, they're stronger. But just imagine in, at the end of the movie, at the end of the game, if they go back to level one, like they're not as strong <laughs> as they were. They didn't get acquired what they were. Like, like they, they're like a baby, they're weak, you know, they're cowardly. It's like, what was I just watching this for? I was waiting for this person to be stronger, the better, that this is it, that moment. And here I was going to say the other P was uh, a spiritual provision. Sorry, I was trying to, I got nervous covering with three P's, provision, protection, perseverance. So. Okay. All right. So we're going to pray together at this time. We're going to tithes and offerings. We'll have just a couple more songs. And the children will go to their lessons. And then we're going to the Word. So it's an exciting time. Uh, I'm super excited about it. So um, I'm going to ask our Brother Tim Mitchell, would you lead us in prayer? And we'll pray with you. Okay. We're praying with Brother Tim. Let's do it. Our Lord and Father, provided much for us. We have to bring us to this point here today so that we can serve you and love you and celebrate who you are. And as we go on through the rest of the service, help us to recognize you, Lord, in our hearts. Forgive us for we value. Help us up and fall. Thank you so much.
the Lord. Whenever we sing that song right before I get up to preach, which we've done a few times, I always worry that when I get up to preach I won't have any voice left because I've sung it all out. And I love that song and I get pretty loud. And I, I probably annoy the music team by sitting in the front row and getting pretty loud singing it. Um, but they're, they're gentle with me, so praise God about that. Yeah, they're used to it. Yeah, they put up with me. So, uh, the title of the sermon today, which is not on the screen up there, is Hold On, Hold On Gently, and Let Go. Hold on, hold on gently, and let go. So for the note takers in the house, if you're a note taker, and if you aren't a note taker, maybe you think, pray a little bit about it, maybe you might become a note taker. Wouldn't that be awesome? Might retain it a little bit more if you write some things down. Hold on, hold on gently, and let go. So if you know what I mean by all three of those short phrases today, then you're good. You can go ahead and go now. But it's unlikely that you do, and I didn't, so here we go, all right? Uh, grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me, maybe a little hoot holler amen, as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Nice. Amen. Thank you very much. I hope, hope we didn't leave you out there. Seemed like we're pretty much on one page today. Deuteronomy chapter 21. We have been working through the book of Deuteronomy for uh, seven months, eight, nope, that's not right, almost nine months, but we took a month off. Uh, or a little less than a month off at Christmas time, and a little less than a month off at uh, at Easter time. So we're really just right about um, five and a half months in, and we're at chapter twenty-one. So if you look in your Bibles, we've got quite a distance to go to finish this, uh, and I've been excited because the Lord has really spoke to me in studying it. So I would encourage you to study along. You can read these texts and generally account for where we're going next before you ever get here on Sunday morning. And you will get more out of it if you have already experienced it yourself, and especially in prayer and listen to the Lord. Okay? want to remind you that we did look at, over the last two weeks, we looked at two things that are going to speak to this text that we're about to read. So some folks weren't with us. You either work with the children or whatever, or you just your first time here today, or whatever it might be. So I just want to remind you that at the end of chapter 20... We saw some kind of rules for warfare. So when the Israelites would go out and fight, and we talked about how there is a different kind of warfare on the terrain that God has given you, where you live, your, life, you know, your intimate areas, if you will, um, your heart. Uh, and for them, that would have been the promised land. Then there is for when you go outside and you're striking out and trying to do something outside that area, maybe. And for us, that might be evangelism or missions or that kind of thing. Um, but for them, that would be fighting the land surrounding the promised land, right? And we use that as an illustration. We brought it forward to present day. That's important when we get there today. And then the second part was last week, 20, verses 21, chapter 21, 1 through 9, was talking about how if a dead man was found in the open country and they didn't know who killed him, what they would do about that. And the important part of that is to realize that you can have imputed to you, you can have blood guiltiness, that is on you, it, may, it will not ruin your salvation, will not make you go to hell, but that is on you, you can be affected, you can be under the wrath of God even, for something that you didn't even do, okay? And I, I, I've run into this a number of times with folks, and I, they're telling me about what they've been through and how horrible what they've been through is, and some people's story just break my heart. I had that one of those this morning, uh, that, a story that I already knew a little bit about and reminded me, and my heart is literally breaking for what that person went through. And, and I've not been through the experiences they went through, so my heart is breaking for what they went through, at, and I compare it to what I went through, I'm like, I mean, I had a pretty easy road, comparatively. Um, but, I've been talking to somebody like that in the past, and I said, you realize, you, even though you didn't do this, you still have to repent of it. 
You still have to repent of your being affected by it, repent of what you went through and like that. To repent does not mean only to turn from sin. It means primarily to turn to God. In other words, you have to say, Lord, I'm going to handle the ramifications of what I've been through in a way that you would have me handle it. And the main thing is to turn it over to God. That's the main thing. And let him show. So there's no vengeance, you know, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Um, I'm not going to walk around stewing in anger all the time because of what happened to me, because the word says, let go of your anger, and so on. So we have to turn over those events to God, even though you didn't do them, because the blood guiltiness of those events can be on you, even though you didn't do them. Okay? And I didn't make that up. If you were here last week, you, 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 you heard it. We studied it. You can look at it again in chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. But then that brings us up to verse 10. Okay? And it's going to be an interesting sort of turn of events because it's going to, and we're going to have a short, short passage today. It's just 10 through 14. And then uh, we just have a couple other verses we're going to look at in the New Testament to put it in context. And that's it. So it's going to go by quickly. So keep your thinking cap on. Verse 10 says this. When you go out to battle against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take them away captive. Okay? So remember, if they're taking, away them, if they're taking them away captive, okay, which enemies are we talking about? The enemies in the promised land or the enemies where they're striking out like outside the promised land? Put it in context. It's the enemies outside. If they're taking them captive, it's the enemies outside. What do they do with the ones inside? Gone. Destroyed. Right? If they don't run before we get there, we kill them all. No life remains. Right? And they're allowed to leave if they, if they get, before they get there. And then a lot of times they did. They left whole cities behind and the Israelites take over the cities. But if they refuse to surrender, if they refuse to flee, then when they get there and we have to besiege them, when we win the siege, we kill everything. That's inside. Right? It's a scorched earth, total destruction. Of what the, on the ground that God has given you, you deal with conflict inside there that way. And we talked about instead of thinking of the enemy as stalking us, we should be hunting him. And you should be looking inside yourself or anything that stands against God, any thought that would put itself up against God and tear it down and destroy it completely and utterly. That's inside. But now we're talking about outside. And it says if you go to battle against your enemy, so when you're reaching out, so for us that would be like evangelism, missions, reaching out, dealing with the stuff that's not necessarily in your spiritual realm or given over to you by the Lord. When you go out to battle against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take them away captive, sometimes you're having some victory, and this could be, for example, somebody's coming to Christ or you're, you're witnessing or evangelism, something good is happening, right, having some victory, or maybe like our uh, podcast is being heard in now 42 countries all over the world, we're having some victory, right? So there's things like that that could be kind of victory. We're having success. Then verse 11 says, and you see among the captives a beautiful woman, and have a desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself. So in other words, we've got a successful, in, bless you, in battle, taking the captives, and we looked at, oh, oh no, this is, not, this is not an ordinary woman. She appeals to me. I think I might like to have her as a wife, not just as a servant, a housemaid, cleaner, whatever, but I would like to have her as a wife. All right? So it can happen, and did happen, Quite frequently, then, with other countries, that that would happen. They would take them captive, and then they'd just take them. Right? They just own them and use them for whatever they want. But the Israelites are not to be like that. There's a different method that God is prescribing here. So, if you see among the captives a beautiful woman and have desire for her, and would take her as a wife for yourself, verse 12 says, then you shall bring her home to your house, and she shall shave her head, and trim her nails, or have her nails done, 
the verb there is more like uh, do her nails. And so in this translation, they say trim. Shave her head, do her nails. Okay? In your house. So you're thinking about, you've decided, maybe I might make her my wife. You bring her home in your house. You take care of her. Provide for her. Verse 13. She shall also remove the clothes of her captivity and shall remain in your house and mourn her father and mother a full month. And I'm going to stop there at the semicolon for a second so we make sure we understand the scene is set. Captive, success. Here's a woman. She's now going to be a servant to the Israelites because those who were captured become essentially slaves, right? But I don't want her to be a slave. I want her to be my wife. So I bring her into my house. She shaves her head, no hair. Does up her nails, which is, you know, that could be part and partial with mourning. A lot of women would have fancy nail, longer nails as a decorative thing or whatever if they were, well, or their nails would be messed up from working or from being in captivity or whatever. And so it's just taking care of her, giving her a little something, right? A little, and giving her space so that she can mourn the loss of what she had. So there's an adjustment period. She's going to take off the clothes of her captivity. So whatever she was wearing when she was enslaved probably is all she has or uh, the, the fashion of her people, that's, that's gone. And so instead, she's putting on common clothes. She lives there, cared for, so she's getting her food and so on. And it says, and mourn her father and mother. Now, this woman and the father and mother in question, you realize when you're, when you're dealing with people, you're not just dealing with, the, you've probably figured this out already in life. When you deal with a person, you're not just dealing with a person, you're also dealing with their baggage. Okay, so when she's dealing with her father and mother, she's, she's mourning the loss of her house. She's mourning the loss of her city. She's mourning the loss of her customs. She's mourning the loss of her gods. Right? Those are all, it's all in there. So she is distancing herself, actively distancing herself from the life that she lived under the auspices of her father and mother. She's given this time to do that. It says, and mourn her father and mother a full month. So for 30 days. So we've got a, a long waiting period here. So if, if we're talking about, to put it in the first person, I want to marry this woman. I'm going to bring her home. I'm not going to make her my wife. Now, in most societies, I'd have the right to do that. You're my wife. That's it. You don't get to say because I own you because I won you in battle. So now you're my wife. But instead, I'm going to do all this for her and give her 30 months or 30 days, a full month, right? During this time, calmer heads prevail, right? So it could be that I go, you know, she's beautiful, but I see she's got this habit, she's got that thing, she seems to be having dis- trouble distancing herself from her past, she talks back a lot, or she's very opinionated, or whatever. So it could be whatever thing could set in during that 30-month waiting period, okay? Or 30-day, I'm sorry, 30-day waiting period, a month. And then it goes on. And it says, I'll, I'll do from the beginning of 13 again, she shall also remove her clothes of her captivity, shall remain in your house, mourn her father and mother a full month, and after that you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. Now, obviously there's the possibility of changing his mind. He could change his mind. But otherwise, he goes into her and takes her as his wife, which was his plan, and he's taking care of her, and she's mourned, and she's, had, she's grown back some hair, though it's probably pretty short after only a month, and she's had her nails done, and she's had time to think about all that she came from and how all of that is essentially gone now. And this is her new life. And he goes in and he takes her as his wife. 14. And it shall be, if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes. Now notice that 
he could be not pleased with her before he actually takes her as his wife. Or he could take her as his wife, and then he goes in with her and calls her his wife, and, and then he's not pleased with her. Either way, right? She started out as a slave. She was his servant. She was going to clean. She was going to have meager clothing and meager resources. But he decided he would make her his wife. Now, whether he makes her his wife or not, the results are the same. If he decides that he's not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes. Now, she didn't have that right in the first place, right? She didn't have that right. She was a slave. She was owned. She didn't get to go wherever she wished. She was going to go wherever she was told. But because he thought about making her his wife, now she has, she can go wherever she wishes. She's free in the world in some sense. It says, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. In other words, even though you took her in battle and she was your slave, then thought about making her a wife, now if you choose not to make her your wife, or if you make her her wife, your wife and decide you don't want her anymore, you can't sell her now no matter what. Okay? You cannot profit from this woman having previously owned her once you changed your relationship with her. 14, it says, And it shall be, if you are not pleased with her, then you shall let her go wherever she wishes, but you shall certainly not sell her for money. You shall not mistreat her because you have humbled her. Because you have humbled her. Okay? So in other words, her position has changed. There was a change in her position from being a slave captured at war to being a possible wife to essentially now being a free woman, essentially. Okay? That's the text for today. So the first thing I want you to see in there is the text is talking about holding on. So here is a woman captured in war. She's brought into the house. She's held on to. She's cared for, right? He's deciding possibly to make her his wife. She's held on to. In life, we go out on mission, we go out evangelistically, we go out conquering evil spirits, we encounter a demon, cast it out of somebody or out of their house or whatever, right? We go out conquering problems, we go to a hungry person, we provide them with food, etc. At that point in time, that person, if you want them to be something more than just an acquaintance or whatever, uh, I had a man who called us to cast evil spirits out of his house, his daughter's dead wife was there. And she was doing things in the middle of the night. It was freaking him out and he couldn't handle it. And so I went with another man. We went over there and ultimately we agreed and we cast the evil spirit, demon, whatever it was, out of the house. And he had peace for a while. And then it came back again. He called us again and come back. And I went over there with another man. And I said, well, we can do this. But it's, he said, it's way worse than it was the first time. We had a break, but now it's way worse. And I said, well, we can do this, but let's be realistic here. Okay, if we keep doing this, we're going to be gone it's going to come back and bring friends with it. That's what the word says. And it's going to keep getting worse and worse. So every time we cast it out for a while, when it comes back, it's going to come back with a party. Okay? So what you need to do is you need to give serious thought to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Basically, what I was saying to him was, I want you to be something more than just a guy who benefits from being under my roof. Right? Just a guy that I can come and cast out evil spirits for you need to become a Christian. You need to give serious examination to what Jesus said. That way, it'll go and it won't come back again. And if it comes back again, you can cast it out yourself because you'll be a Christian. So now you can't get saved in order to get that ability, but you can listen to these teachings and you can decide. And he did not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we cast out the evil spirits and we left. And 
about two, uh, uh, no, it's about four months past, and he called again, and he says, hey, we've got a, we've got a real problem here. So, we, so I went with him, and he, the second time he was saying it was because he was a devout Muslim. That's why he wouldn't accept Christ. He says his family would disown him and everything else. And I, so the, when I went back, I took an ex-Muslim with me, somebody who knew the Quran, knew Muslim religion, that kind of thing, and I said, we'll see about that, see if we can win him to Jesus, because this is somebody who had come to Jesus after being a Muslim. So we sit with him, and this is the story he told me. So you cast out the evil spirits, then I had a guy come and move in with me. He was a professing Christian, went to church every Sunday. No problem. Evil spirits never came back. He lived with me for six months. Then he went away for a couple weeks, and as soon as he went away for a couple weeks, the house was going crazy. Stuff slamming in the kitchen, the refrigerator was open, stuff was spilled on the floor in the kitchen, cold feeling in the, where she used to sit in the living room, all this crazy stuff going on. He said, then the guy came home after he was gone for two weeks. And I thought, whew, okay, now it'll get better. And then he told me he was moving out. So about a week ago, he moved out. I haven't got a week of sleep since. I cannot do this. So we talked him through the Muslim thing. And the guy says, the ex-Muslim's with me. He said, I'm here to tell you, you're not a Muslim. You're lying. He said, you can't, you don't understand the Quran. I'm talking, you don't understand. You haven't studied the Quran. You're not a Muslim. He said, no, my family's a Muslim, but I'm not, I'm not anything. I'm not a devout Muslim. So the guy prayed to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, ultimately. And we talked him through how it couldn't be just out of fear or whatever. It had to be for real. And we were hoping and trying to get him in church, and etc. So we held on to him. And now we've, we've gone a little further, right? But then he decided ultimately not to pursue his faith, not to follow Christ, except like that. And instead, he had a woman move in with him and... Then he calls me up on the phone and he says, well, we want, she's got some inheritance and we want to give $23,000 to the church because we really value what you've done. So what did I say? I said, I can't do that. I don't, I'm not taking $23,000. I said, if you really want to give it, you can give it in the offering plate. You can give it online on the website anonymously. You can go to our treasurer and set up a different meeting to go do that something completely, somebody that's not involved at all. So I'm not taking your money. Right? I, I'm not a paid servant that comes and casts out demons. The moment you start being that, that's not a Christian. Okay? And so that's dealing with a person. That's dealing with a person. I, I didn't want him to just be somebody I had met, helped out, took care of. I wanted him to become the family. I wanted him to become something more. I entreated him to do so. But now, once he got to the point where it was clear that he was not going to do so, I had to let him go. And it's the same way with all people that might be in your life. You might have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I hope it's never a husband or a wife because that's a horrible situation to be in. For us, God hates divorce. doesn't ever want to see that come about. But the bottom line is, if you have somebody you want to be something more in your life, you hold on to them and you hold on gently you give them all you can. You take care of them. You sacrifice yourself for them. You hold on to them gently. But ultimately, if they just won't be, you let them go. But it can't, doesn't have to be people, right? It can be actual evil spirits. It can be teachings that you want to add. It can be hobbies. It can be things where you go outside. God has, listen to me, God has not given you, I'm going to step on somebody's toes as soon as I say it, God has not given you the right to own a cell phone. God has not given you the right to play games. God has not given you the right to own a car and drive. Okay? Now, God has set up a world in which those things exist 
and they are blessings, but it happens that there are Christians who love the Lord and serve the Lord and lose their ability for whatever you might put on that list. Those things are all, all of them, outside the ground that God, here's what God has promised you. God has said, if you will believe and receive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have heaven for an eternity. You have the Holy Spirit presence in you, which will flow itself out or his self out in fruits of the Spirit and your spiritual gift. You will have a job, the ministry of reconciliation, so you can share the gospel with people. And I will provide you with your basic needs. I will always take care of you, just as I do the sparrows in the field. I'll make sure that you have all... And then he said, if you will seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you, talking about sustenance, talking about enough money to survive, enough money to live well, maybe even, but not rich necessarily, but live well, taken care of. The, the ability to go out will always be made available to you in some fashion. You can do all of those things. But there ain't no cell phone on that list. There ain't no car on that list. There's no stakes on that list even, right? Those are the promises of God. And he'll take all the trials and tribulations that you face, and he'll turn them out for your good in the end. Those are, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Your portion in the kingdom of God is God and what he wants to do. All the rest of that stuff are trappings of this world. Are they bad? No. In fact, Galatians says, enjoy these things. They're given for you to enjoy. That's fine. But if you're going to add, hear me now, I'm going to be very point blank for a second. If you're going to add a cell phone to your life, the first thing you need to do is go look at that cell phone and go, I think, I think this has a place in my life. So you're going to hold on to it. So you might have to pay a bill. You might have to do a little research to find out what you want. Right? See what it's got in it, what it can do. You have to learn what apps you're going to have and what apps you're not going to have. Right? Then you're going to hold on to it gently in the sense that this is something that God has allowed me to have. I have it. I'm going to use it for the Lord. But at the point at which it starts to not be for the Lord, right? this is my cell phone. I've got it. I'm strumming through. And I start catching myself doing things that I shouldn't be doing. It's not godly. I'm holding on to it gently. I'm holding on to it gently. And then I'm like, okay, there's no problem. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm still holding it, but I'm not going to do that anymore. It's good. That's all out now. It's no, there's no problem. That's taken care of. That period of mourning is over. The cell phone, let me use this language if I may, the cell phone has decided to leave behind its nature and become something akin to who I am in Christ. Something that will be something that I like. Something that God wants to use. So I've, I've now translated it from its norm. Let's be realistic. The world uses this to bring Satan and hell into the households of everybody. The world uses it. So you've got two choices. You can go, well, I'm not going to use it. I refuse. The world is using that tool, so I refuse to use that tool. I'll not have a cell phone. I'll not take a phone call. I'll not text. I'll not look at YouTube. I'll not do any of that. I'm not going to ask. What's that? That's a thing you can do. Okay? However, that is not a th- that's not what this text is about, and it's not what Paul said. Right? It's permittable for you to pick this up and go, well, I think I want this. It's created in the world. I think I want it. I'm going to hold it kind of gently and figure out, is it good for me? Does it work? Can it be used for kingdom? Has it gone through its appropriate warning period? So now it's, trans- it's become something that can be used for God? Has that happened? Wait. I'm looking at this, and I realize that ha- that has not happened. I let it go. Right? Or your car. Or your house. Or your friends. Or and it goes on and on and on. It could be that your cell phone's perfectly fine, but it's YouTube in particular, right? Or TikTok in particular. 
or whatever. And, and these are things that only exist in our day. It wasn't even a problem. But it could be every Wednesday evening, I go over to my friend's house and we eat and play games together. And then after a few years, I'm whole, I, yeah, this is working for me. I'm witnessing to them. We, we talk about Jesus while we're there. They don't do anything ungodly. And then pretty soon, somebody's bringing in six packs of beer. And I'm, alcohol is not only being served, and they're drinking it and acting kind of weird, but on top of that, it's being pushed at me. Right? You, gotta, you brought it into your life. You brought it to be a more intimate thing. You were bringing it in, and now you've got to hold it. You've got to hold it gently, so we're processing it. Does it work? Does it not work? It's permittable, but does it work? Okay, now I've discovered it doesn't work. I'm sorry, I won't be able to come anymore. Not as long as this is what it's going to be like. Right? Let it go. So this same tactic applies to everything. But I want you to understand that it's starting with someone who was a slave. Did you catch that? This woman was a slave. She was totally and utterly submitted to God's people because God's people were victorious in God's service. The armies went out to conquer. They, they took to slavery the things. So they went out and they said, This mine! I'm going to use it for the Lord. That's it. That settles it. But wait. There are some other attractive features. Maybe I want to let this be something more. Maybe I want to use this in, a, in creative ways. Maybe I want to use it to placate my inner feelings or for entertainment. or what. I, I could do more with this. And then hold on. And then it's, it's moving past that. It was mine. I was in control of it. I had completely conquered it. To now, it's attached to me. And now when I feel that it's become something that's unpleasing, when I realize it's going against what, then I have to let it go. And guess what? You know what will happen to this phone if I never touch it again? If I literally put this cell phone down and never touch it again, for about two and a half days, it will go on representing me on the internet. It will do things without me. It will receive notifications and messages. In some cases, it will send some things back. On my behalf, it'll continue to, to have a life without me until its battery dies. And that's what God was explaining. You can go out on behalf of the Lord and you start in a position of victory. The moment you got saved, you won every single battle in the spiritual realm until you, your body dies and you win the final battle and go to heaven for an eternity and there will be no more battles. Right? The moment you got saved, you won them all. But somewhere along the line, sensory, yes, things we enjoy, things we're pleased with, things we like, we go, hey, there could be more here. This could be something. I'm going to let this become an intimate thing. I'm going to let this become part of my personality. Right? Now I'm going to be, I'll be very transparent about my personal journey here for a second, give you a specific example. I happen to be uh, a role player. Some of you... Don't even know what that means exactly, but I run role-playing games, and I run a, a role-playing game campaign that I've run for 35 years in, in June. Okay? Now, when I got saved, I was doing that, and previous to getting saved, I was doing it, and there were times when I was in high school and college where I was doing it sometimes five or seven days a week. So I would work, get off Radio Shack at 9, I'd get home about 9.20, and there would be cars lined up in front of my house waiting to play a game. Okay? So when I became a Christian... I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have time for that anymore. I don't think that God's saying, I've, God changed me. I, I gained victory, right? And so I, I began to edge it out. I'm going to say, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that anymore. And then there was a moment in time I was living in Michigan. And I had pretty much moved away from 
everybody in, that I played with here and so on. And I thought, you know what? I don't think I'm going to do it anymore at all. And we're just going to stop. Because it just doesn't seem like there's really a place or a use for it. So I moved from this is who I am to this is who, I mean, if it's a question of God or this, then I have to let it go. Okay? And then I was prayerfully considering, I was talking to the Lord and whatever, and the Lord said, here's the thing. I didn't tell you let it go. What I said was, if it's ungodly or if, it, if it's not going to work for the kingdom, it's not profitable, it's got to go. And on top of that, he said, if it's not going to be profitable and for the kingdom, then you can invest your time in something else that will replace it. So I got on the phone with my pastor and I got talking and I talked this dilemma through that I was having and I, I had decided essentially that I wasn't going to do it much anymore. And what my pastor and I concluded was God was leading us to make it a godly thing. Now, over the years, I, there are eight or ten salvations, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that I can specifically attribute to that hobby, except it's not really a hobby. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm married to it. It's part of who I am. It be, it's become part of my personality. And if you go, I can't, I can't understand that, you're going to have to sit in <laughs> to understand it if you want, or, or sit back and judge me. Do whatever you want to do. It's up to you. You're free to do whatever you choose to do. But for me, I had to go through a process of taking hold of it, holding it kind of gently and going like, Lord, I can let go of this or it can be part of who, who I am, right? And I got to the point where I was ready to let go of it and then the Lord said, no, we're going to use it, all right? You're going to hold it, hold it kind of gently, and then ultimately, if it won't mesh, if it won't come in, if it won't be part of who you are in Christ, then you let it go. See, the process is like that. But remember, it starts with a slave. You were already winning. And then you thought, oh. And then you thought, oh. And then you thought, hmm. And you have to let it go. Hold on. Hold on gently. If you want to unleash this servant into your life, to, you know, wives and slaves, not the same thing. Okay? If you're a man in the room and you're a husband, and you think your wife is a servant to you, okay? If she's a servant to you, that is done out of, because she's a follower of Jesus Christ, she's serving Jesus, so she serves you, right? Otherwise, your wife is not a servant. That's not the way it works. If you're a woman in the room, men, they're not your servants. If your husband serves you, he is doing that out of the goodness of his heart, or he's trying to manipulate you, or hopefully he's following Christ and serving Christ and thereby serving you, right? People are not naturally servants, they were created to be servants, but lost, we've become not servants. Your wife is not a slave, so you're, promote, you're thinking about promoting this person or this thing, whatever it is, to an intimate status. And somewhere in the process, you realize, no, this is not going to work for me. For Christians, that should line up with who we are in Christ. All right? We're going to look real quick at a New Testament text, and we're already... Uh, approaching the, the conclusion of this sermon, all right? So go with me. If you've got your Bible, you follow along to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Before I read from here, I want you to understand that in the New Testament church, there was a problem. And the problem was there were things in the world that they were participating with, and they didn't know how to handle it. One example was eating food that had previously been dedicated to idols. 
So they sacrifice the food to the idols, and the idols are taking the food, but really it's the priests, right, the cultists coming out, taking it off the offering, they take it in the back room, and then now they've got all this food that people gave to Bahumapulf, whatever his name was, who cares, and they take all that food, and they take it to the marketplace, and they sell it, all right? Now, the thing about food is, when it's a little bit prepared, you can kind of tell where it came from, right? If you uh, walk into the New Heights cafeteria, and there's a pot of spicy chili there, you can immediately rule out some people in our church who probably didn't make that, and you could probably narrow it down to about four or five, and if you look in the pot, and you see just meat and beans and, and sauce, and it's spicy, nothing else, you can kind of start to, go, I think I know where this came from, right? So you have your signature dish, and you want to give something to your false god, you're going to make your signature dish, and you take it to the false god, you put it on the altar, and the next day it's gone. Yeah, you took it, Bahumuluf, liked my, fall, my, my stuff that I made, right? And then you go to the marketplace the next day, and guess what's there? Your pot of stuff that you made for Bahumuluf, right? I'm purposely not using the names of any false deities, all right? So the point is, there it is. It's in the market. Oh, that's my thing that, that I gave to Bahumuluf, right? I can't buy and eat that now because I get, and I'm going to tell all my family, don't buy that. I've dedicated that to Bahumuluf, right? So that's the problem. People were going to the marketplace and figuring out that the food that was supposed to be disappearing on the altar wasn't disappearing. It was being sold in the marketplace. Now, if you're a Christian and you go to the marketplace and there's food being sold, and it's being sold for a pretty good price, by the way, and Joe that lives down the street from you says, don't eat that, don't buy that, I sacrificed it to Bahumalaf. What do you do? You could buy it cheaper than you could buy almost anything else. It's being sold fairly inexpensively, right? Well, you know and I know that Bahumalaf is nothing, or maybe Bahumalaf is a demon or an evil spirit, Right? And so then can I eat food that was dedicated to an evil spirit? That he, can I eat his leftovers? That was the world they were living. They had to figure this out, right? And so the truth is they were free to buy and eat the food, but they couldn't buy and eat the food with somebody, like have a guest over, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus, and then say, oh, by the way, this food was sacrificed to Bahumalaf, and they're all going to go, whoa, wait a minute, I don't want to be a Christian if Christians eat food that was sacrificed to this Bahumalaf, Right? So they had to work through that problem. Paul essentially says this. I'm summarize it for you. None of that. Oh boy, I was going to say crap. I'm just going to say it. None of that crap means anything. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. It's all junk. Don't worry about it. Now, if you're eating with somebody who's worried about it, be gentle. Right? Where does that fit in? Hold gently. Right? Be gentle. Be kind with that person. Be compassionate with them because they obviously have a problem with it. But you, you're free to do whatever you want. And go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. And he says this. He says, all things are lawful for me. In other words, nothing that I could do in Christ would be breaking the law. Eating food, sacrifice to Bahumala. Even, God forbid, lying, right? Though I wouldn't do it because I understand that a liar, this is in the text above, doesn't, wouldn't inherit the kingdom of God. Right? So I'm not going to do that. But technically, it's lawful for me because if I sin now, my sins are paid for. Could I pay a price in this lifetime? Sure, but ultimately, I'll still go to heaven. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable for me. All things are lawful for me, but I, I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, 
All the stuff that you see, wherever you go, whatever you think you might like, it's all lawful for you. Eat a ton of carbs if you want. That's not going to affect your salvation no matter what. It may make you fat, right? But it won't, it won't mess with your salvation. Watch rated R movies if you want. That's not going to affect your salvation. It may mess with your head, make it hard for you to see straight, make it hard for you to walk in faith rather than by your earthly desires, but it's okay, right? All things are lawful. But notice, not all things are profitable, and you must not be mastered by anything. So we go back to the analogy of the cell phone. Your cell phone is fine. The world has cell phones. Being like the world is not a problem in a sense. Your tattoos. The world has tattoos. It's fine if you have tattoos. It's lawful. It's no problem. Your hobbies, whatever they might be, it's all fine. Somebody comes to you and says, a Christian can't do that. You can't do that if you're a Christian. You just tell them, all things are lawful. But be prepared when they say back to you, yeah, but I don't think that's profitable. Okay? So then you have to ask yourself, it's lawful, it's fine, I can do it, but do I want to give it a place in my life? Does it line up with who I am in Christ? Is it willing to be separated? And I'm talking as if these things were intelligent, and I submit to you in many cases, a lot of things are intelligent that we don't understand are intelligent. Okay? They have a role. They're playing a role. I'm not saying a... Um, a food thinks like a person. I'm not saying that. But will this food fit in my body, my processes, my kingdom following, my spiritual warfare? Will it fit? Is it able to be divorced, separated from what it was before, where it fits in over here, right? And I submit to you, the first piece of chocolate cake can be. The whole cake, not so much. Now, you figure out yourself what that looks like. If you look at a cake and you go like, yeah, can I eat this cake? It's perfectly fine for me to eat this cake. You eat the whole cake, that's the problem. But you eat a little bit of the cake, that can be divorced from the whole. You can eat it, you can digest it, you can be fine after the fact. But you eat the whole cake, now you've got a problem. Cell phones are a lot like that. If you won't make a decision about what you can or cannot do with it, it probably does not have a place in your life because eventually it's going to do something all on its own. And you're going to have to stop it. You're going to have to be intentional about it. And if you won't, it's just going to keep doing that to you over and over and over again, just like that slave woman who was living in your house that you decided to make your wife, and she starts doing things that you know don't line up with God. She was supposed to leave her false gods behind, but she clearly has not. She was supposed to leave the life that she she's still She's had a month to mourn, but she's still always talking about her mom and dad and how unjust it was that the Israelites came in and took their city. Right? She's, she's always got this issue. I can't have her be part of my heart part of my life, part of my stuff, because she won't be separate from what went on before and she won't live now in the kingdom with me. And whether it's a cell phone or a hobby or a dessert or whatever, you were a victor in the first place. And if now if you let it come in and be part of, who, part of your intimate being, you lose. You're intentionally choosing to lose at that point. So what do you do? You hold on. Here it is. I see it. Then you hold on kind of gently. Okay, God, I'm going to take this. I'm going to use it. I'm going to let it become part of who I am, part of myself, part of me, part of my life, part of my kingdom effort. Okay, this is not, this, it's not working very good. It's not working out great. I see it's not profitable for the kingdom. It's not profitable for who I am in Christ. I let it go. Is it going to go on without you? Yes. Are you supposed to kill it? No. Can you sell it? No. 
right? When I was a young Christian living in Michigan, I, one of the young, a man named Terry Hill became a good friend of mine, a brother in Christ. Terry was not a pastor. Uh, he was the apprentice leader of our, apprentice shepherd of our Bible study group. So he was training to become a facilitator of Bible study, but he hadn't become. So he just became my friend. We're driving in the car, and he talked to me about rated R movies and how he and his wife made a decision to eliminate all rated R movies, and TVMA didn't exist at that time, but he said in all things like that, they have a lot of violence, nudity, gross language, evil depicted, things like he said. We just decided to call out because we realized the Bible says focus, what's on pu- focus on what's pure, and you'll be okay, right? And that's not pure, so I shouldn't focus on it. So he said, we're going to cut all that out. And I said, well, that's been, and I was cut to the quick because I knew in my rack at home was all these rated R movies that we owned and there was violence and Sherry's favorite actor used to be Steven Seagal. You can't get 15 minutes into movies not snapping somebody's arm, right? That was her favorite actor. So we had all that stuff. And I went home to Sherry and I said, you know, um, I think maybe there's not really a place for it and we should let it go. And so we prayerfully went through that process and together, I didn't, eat, I didn't put, hand down an edict. She's not my slave. We decided together to let it go, right? And we, got, we went through the movies, and we found the movie The Patriot, and, and that's got a, some great Christian message. But one of the first sermons I ever preached was based on that movie. It used an, an illustration from that movie. But it's rated R, and it's got quite a bit of violence and war-type violence, right? And I prayerfully, I said, Lord, am I supposed to get rid of this movie? Even though I knew that I had used it for a sermon, I might want to use it again, and God spoke to me through it. And I said, Lord, am I supposed to? And he said, no. He said, no, get this. He said, no, you can keep that one. So what I'm saying to you, is it about the fact that the movie's rated R? Is it about the fact that your cell phone can bring things into your life? That woman was a worshiper of false gods before she was a slave. That woman lived in a society of completely different social mores and rules before he said, hey, I like her, I think I'll make her my wife. No, it's about whether or not the thing that's being brought in can be used to glorify God, can be used as part of the kingdom advance. So it's about whether or not it's profitable. All things are permissible. She's hot. I want her as my wife. I take her in. She mourns for 30 days. I don't care. Her and I are going to get busy every night for the next month, right? This is going to be awesome. I don't care. I'm enjoying this. Even though I see it's not profitable for my household, it's not good for the kingdom of God, she doesn't belong here, she refuses to let go of her false gods, she continues to say all kinds of things, and then when she's raising the kids, she's, she's not going to be a good mother, etc. But, but I, I don't care, because man, when her and I are alone, it, it fulfills my physical desires. No. It might be permissible. You can take her as your wife, that's your option. But when you realize it's not profitable... You let it go. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then one more in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, very similar verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 10, 23. Hmm. It's not 23. Oh, yeah, okay. So we got to back up. We'll back up. We'll take a run at it because uh, he's in the middle of a sentence or a thought process. So we'll go back here. So 20. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law. In other words, free, but I'm going to behave by the rules of society even, even so. Even though I'm free to do whatever I want, it's not profitable for me to break all the rules and people see me as a rule breaker. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are also who are under the law. To those who are without 
law as without law. So in other words, when I go to people who are not Jewish, I don't bring up the rules of all the Ten Commandments and stuff, right? I behave without all that Jewishness in order that I can win them. 21. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may be all, by all means saved some. And I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you realize, he says at the end there, And I do all things for the sake of the gospel. You need one simple principle. If you hold on to it, it better have to do with the gospel. If you hold on gently, it better have to do with the gospel. If you don't let it go, if you don't let it go, it better have to do with the gospel. He says, and I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Why? That I may become a fellow partaker of it. This is Paul. Witness, missionary, stoned and whipped within an inch of his life. At one point in time, claws taken from him were miraculously healing people. Preached to late hours of the night and a young man fell asleep, fell out the window and died in the street. And he ran down and brought him back to life. And he said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. So you go out in victory and you're winning and then something appeals to you and you think I might want to bring that into my life, a person, a thing, uh, whatever, an idea. You think I might want to bring that into my life, might want to make it part of who I am. Hold on to it long enough to figure it out. Hold on gently. Don't take a firm grasp and say this belongs to me, I'm keeping it. right? And then when, when and if you figure out it cannot be a part of you, It cannot be a part of a you that is dedicated to God, a you that promotes the gospel, a you that drives the kingdom forward with all the gifts that God has put in you. If it can't, let it go. Is it permissible that you take them? Take that thing, take that person, take whatever into your life and you keep it there and you make it an intimate part of who you are? Sure, it's permissible, but it's not profitable. And if it's not profitable then you're risking the second half of that verse that I just read where he says, I make all things, and I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you want to be a partaker of the gospel? Heck yeah, because when the time comes and Jesus asks, how did you get in here? You aren't dressed quite right. You don't fit in with all these other holy rollers who really are living for God and and whatever, and he says, "How did you even get in here? You don't want to be like that guy who looked at him and says, uh, I'm not, I, and says nothing. You want to be the guy who says, "Well, I got in here because Jesus' blood paid for my sins. I got in here because Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I have lived to the best of my ability. Even though I've screwed up a hundred or a thousand or a million times, I've lived to the best of my ability for Him. And when I encountered something that I thought, well, this will be cool, I want this to be part of my life. I always first held on to it." kind of gently at first and sometimes I found out I had to let it go and for that reason I am here I didn't earn these robes of white my salvation is not because of anything that I did but because of who Jesus is and I live my life to be a partaker of it maybe maybe you've already added some things to your life 
allowed them to become intimate, allowed them to become part of who you are. And right now you're thinking, well, you know, I'm not holding on gently. I got a pretty firm grasp on a few things that maybe really don't belong, and I don't want to let them go. And God is calling out to you now and saying, you need to let them go. If you cannot use that for me, then it has no place in you, in your life, in your realm. If you're holding on tightly to something that doesn't belong, you're giving up your victory. You're not living for Jesus if you're running around snatching the fruit of the world and the trappings of battle for yourself. Instead, you're placating your flesh, fulfilling your desires. Well, that didn't work out very well for Achan. He took a cloak and some silver, and he and his entire family were put to death by the Israelites, ultimately, after God caused them to have a horrible loss. Why? Because he took things that were under the ban. Are you taking things that are under the ban? Are you taken to yourself? Things that cannot be for God? At least demote them back to holding them gently until you figure it out for sure. Give them an opportunity to be separate from the things of the world. Give them an opportunity to come be part of who you are. Or if you're not going to do that, and cut it off in the first place. Remember she was a slave and he decided to take her as a wife. I submit to you, if there was a slave woman and I thought, well, I'd like to have her as my wife. And then I thought, but it's going to be hard to look at her every day as a slave if I don't take her as my wife because she's pretty hot. I wouldn't have taken her home at all. But now I've taken her home and I think, I would, I think I'd like to make her my wife. Well, now I know how to get there. I hold on to her. I hold on to her gently. And if it cannot be, then I let it go. And yes, she's going to be free. Because I tried to make her my wife. I humbled her. I tried to separate her from her beginnings. And I didn't, or I couldn't, or it wasn't God's idea. It wasn't the way God wanted it to go. But now I realize that, and I let it go. Let her go. We have the praise team to come forward and lead us in a closing hymn at this time. If you are in that position where you've taken things into your life, allowed them to be intimate to you, and you know you need to let something go, then you let it go right now before we start singing. If you're in a position in your life where there's something you're debating about, you're holding it gently, you're trying to figure it out, and right now you say to God, God, is this something I've got to let go? Or is it something I can make something out of? Can I use it for your glory? Can I use it maybe to win people to Jesus or, or to advance my kingdom knowledge or my ability to make decisions or whatever it might be? Is it profitable? If it's not profitable, and God says it's not profitable, then be prepared to let it go. It's entirely possible, there's a whole month in there for that woman, it's entirely possible that you're in a place that you just don't know yet. So you're looking at something in your life, and you're just not sure, does it belong, can it stay, will it be a long-term thing, or someone, and you say, okay, Lord, I realize that's where I'm at, I'm just going to hold it gently for now, and if at any point you tell me to let it go, then I'll let it go.
maybe you're in the room today and you say, you know what, I've never truly turned my life over to the Lord. And if that's the case, and you do that today. And you say, but there's this person, or this thing, or I have such feelings about this, or I went through this, or whatever. Jesus was there, he saw it all. There is no excuse. You're 100% for Jesus. He's 100% for you already. And you're saved. And then from that point on, when something new comes in, you're already the victor, and that's how you handle it. When it comes in, you start to become part of who you are. You think, I like that. I'm adding that to who I am. First, hold it gently. Get verification from God whether it's okay. And if ultimately it's not, you let it go. Just stand with me and sing this song, and if the Lord is urging you to come forward or share some decision, or maybe even right where you are, you can raise your hand and say, hey, I need to say something. Uh, we don't really need the part of the room, so we just need to respond to God at this time. If there is a response in your heart, then make it known as we sing. Oh. 
haven't seen the lives of a lot of other people. But sometimes uh, when you hear the preacher preach or you hear the word from the Bible, that it's easier said than done. Easier said than done. Um, the problem with that in this case is that we start out as the victors and we sort of give them that up to go after something that looks good to us. But understand that God fully knows, right? He knows what He created. In fact, uh, the Word says that He knows that we are but dust, <laughs> you know? So He fully knows. And, and you will deal with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life until you're physically no longer here. So He fully knows. That's why He says all things are permissible. Once you get saved and follow Jesus, you can do all those things. You can break the rules. Um, you can lie without ever becoming a liar. See, a lost person, uh, a dead person, right? anything they do that's sin, it, it becomes their identity. A person who lies is a liar. A person who steals is a thief. A person who murders or has anger in their heart toward a brother is a murderer. Right? But once you're a Christian and your righteousness is imputed by Jesus, so Jesus' righteousness is what God sees when God looks at us, now, if you lie, it's just heartbreak. It's just bad, right? It doesn't change your identity in Christ. You're still, because you weren't getting your righteousness from your choices in the first place. You're getting it from Jesus' choices. You lie. He didn't lie. It doesn't change the fact that you get his imputed righteousness, right? You're still righteous. So it's permissible, and it's not going to create a change in your end destination. However, there should be conflict in you. You should go, oh, I see that as something. So this is just a process on how to handle when there's some conflict. There's some, and when a question arises. It's not as complicated as it sounds. You will now know, now that you've been here and heard this, you will see things like something new will come into your life. Someone will invite you to play a game, invite you to a, a, a hobby circumstance, or you'll, you'll watch a, a new team that you like or get into sports. Uh, or a new sport, a new, new physical thing that you like to do, you're going to work out, or, or you'll eat a food that you never ate before. And you'll go, okay, I see, this is what we're talking about. I'm still alive, I'm still encountering new, and I, how do I handle this? Hold on to it. If you like it, hold on to it. But hold it kind of gently. And then if it's a problem for you, so it becomes a problem in your faith, a problem in your kingdom walk, it's not benefiting the gospel, let it go. See, it's not as complicated if you can where it's complicated is we've already blown it. We've already made the decision to add something to us that we shouldn't have. That's where it's complicated. But if you were there at your, the moment of your own salvation, you know that God dealt with everything before that point, and God will do it again. So that's where you need to turn back to the Lord now and say, okay, Lord, I realize I've got stuff. I've got stuff that I did not bet. I did not go through the process of determining whether this belongs here or not. And you start systematically looking at the stuff, and it might be overwhelming at first, but if you, every time you think about something that doesn't belong, you return, you repent and turn to God and ask God for wisdom, and James 1, 5 says he'll give it. And so you go, okay. It's the, unfortunately, I like this a lot, but it is no benefit to me in the kingdom of God. It does not spread the gospel. Therefore, as much as I like it, it's got to go. Because it's no benefit. And I'll, I submit to you that when you're 90 or 100, I hope we're, we all make it to that depth, a lot of the things that today you really love to do, really like to participate in, they'll be gone. So you can foresee yourself 
For example, not watching sports. You can foresee yourself not reading fantasy fiction or not playing games or not going shooting or not going hunting or not building things or not mowing lawns or not operating machinery. All of that at 90, 100 years old, you can see that time down the road. So if there's anything that you're doing now, you can just kind of go, well, this doesn't benefit me in the kingdom. I really wasn't holding it all that gently. I kind of just took it. But now I see I need to let it go. It's not that complicated because at the moment you got accept Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, he dealt with everything and he can do it again. I encourage you to begin to use this process in your life as a protection from getting stuck with stuff that you don't want. We're going to close in prayer. Uh, they got a couple hands. Go. I just want to encourage you anybody uh, if you don't have an inner person or inner circle of someone that you can call or you know, maybe you have your wife that's awesome, you know, someone you can pour into, but you don't have to go to bed angry or offended or deeply hurt. And it may not just be you, it could be just somebody bonding all over you. This world is caught in depth, despair, and depravity. Everybody goes through it. And it might not even be you, or you don't know how to handle it as a person or as a Christian. If you need that, call me or text me, because that way, you know, you don't have to go to bed. Because the idea is when you go to bed, wake up the next day. It was never dealt with. His mercies are new every day, but that's the idea, because it's a new day. But if you went to bed without dealing with it, you're still living in the past. So I encourage you, if you don't have that, and you don't have my phone number, which you also have my phone number, you know, if you need that, you know, just reach out, and I'll, I'll be there. I listen to people all the time that are dealing with stuff, you know, so... Uh, feel free to call me or text me. That's a good word. Go. So something that really sticks out to me through this whole sermon is the letting go aspect. Um, something that I've been struggling with a lot, really, like really bad over the last couple months, is letting go of the worldly teaching of what a man is supposed to be. And I know what God wants me to do. I know how God wants me to be. I, I at least I think I do, I guess. That's the easiest way to put that. I think I do. But when you look at the world, the man's supposed to be the strong one, the one that's supposed to provide and protect. And that's similar to what the Bible says. But I need to realize and let go of the fact that I don't have to do it all by myself. And I think that's really the hardest thing for me right now that I've been dealing with a lot is letting go of the fact that I don't have to do it by myself, even though me as a person I feel I should because I'm supposed to be the man, I'm supposed to be the one to carry my family, but I can't do it by myself. And I've been trying and trying and trying and there's so many things that happen that just make me feel like I'm not, I'm not worth it. I'm not, it's not worth it. You know, I'm not doing enough. I'm not being strong enough. And I'm not providing for my family the way I should. And like I said, a lot of that comes from me growing up in a non-Christian home and just 
that being drilled into me as a person through my parents and it just it's causing me a lot of problems I, I'm struggling sleeping again I last night I got like four hours of sleep because I woke up from a bad dream and couldn't go back to bed because I was honestly terrified to go back to sleep so I need to just let that go and I guess really just not put so much pressure on myself and understand that there's there's help out there and I don't have to be the super strong one all the time. And I think as long as we think we've got all our stuff together, we'll never get our stuff together too. I mean, it's an arrogance. Um, the world is very arrogant, but ironically, the world says what you said about men, but then if you look at men in the world, that's not what they do. Which is Romans 1, right? It says they set up rules for themselves and they'll break those very same rules that they set up. So, so we, we just need to do it God's way. That's key. So, repenting and turning to the Lord. And, uh, and we learn to be dependent on Him. And that's the key. Good stuff. Anybody else real quick? And once, twice. Right. Brother Mike Brister, would you pray for us in closing? We'll pray with you. Father God, again, thank you for this time, this place we come together. Worship you, God. I want to thank you for our pastor and the word you laid on, gave him. I pray you don't fall on idle ears and be put to use in our daily lives. And God, again, be with us, guide us, Jesus' name. Probably. Yep, two hours and 50 minutes and 50 seconds and counting. Bye.